How do you get to live when the grave has no claim on you? We get to live differently than everyone else. I trust that you are living that truth in your life, living with the joy of that, living with the um, freedom of that uh, reality and in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that reminder of really our invincibility, and invincibility as far as the grave goes. We know that you have died for us and rose again, conquering death, defeating sin, that you uh, as the first fruit might be the example uh, for us, that we might know what lies before us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, we desperately need a, a touch of your hand in our lives, or we need you to, to uh, comfort our hearts and to help us. We need uh, in this hour, Lord, for assurance from you, confidence in you. We need your word to strengthen us and to help us and to instruct us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this uh, next allotted time we have, a few moments together, Lord, to, to be um, encouraged by the very words of God to us. In light of the end, in light of the nearness of the end, how ought we to live? I pray, Lord, that we will uh, hang on every word you give to us this morning and that it, will be, um, that it will change our lives. Lord, I pray that we will cooperate with what you have for us today as the Holy Spirit desires to change us from who we are and what we are to what we need to be in, in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 4. 2,000 years ago, Peter wrote, the end of all things is near. 2,000 years ago. That's an odd phrase to write 2,000 years ago. The end of all is near. Many generations have come and gone since that was first recorded in the scriptures and sent as a letter to the people who were scattered throughout the uh, uh, Asia Minor, the ancient world. And it's highly possible that many more generations will come and go based on the history of Christianity. When I was younger, and many of you uh, who are my age or around my age will remember that there was a date that was given and was uh, carried out through evangelicalism, and that year was 1988. 1988 was going to be the year that the Lord would return, and it was based upon the idea that because Israel had become a nation again in 1948, and because Jesus had said in the scriptures that this generation will not pass away until they see the glory of Christ, People did a calculation and said, well, a generation back in Jesus' day was about 40 years. So 40 years from 1948, 1988, that's when Jesus is coming back. Well, here we are, 2020. And Jesus had already said in his word that uh, the hour, the day you do not know. Not even the Son of Man knew when he was here on earth among us. So it is foolhardy for us to set dates. 
know, as I look at uh, my sermon notes here, and I have a date on the page, July 19th, 2020, this would have been my dad's 95th birthday had he have uh, been alive. He's been gone now four years. And my dad was, he lived hoping that he would be alive when the Lord would return. And I'm guessing that there's pretty much a clean sweep among us here that, that we hope that we'll be alive on the day that the Lord returns. Well, you know, it's not an advantage to be alive on the day the Lord returns, by the way, because the scriptures tell us that those who are dead in Christ will rise first. So the priority goes to those who have already gone. And by the way, they're already in the presence of Jesus. However, it's a good thing. It's it's a fine thing. It's an okay thing to, to hope to be alive when Jesus returns. And I hope to be, but maybe not. One thing I know as I, as I look at the scriptures and I study that phrase, the end of all things is near, that we are nearer to the end today than we were yesterday. Yes? I mean, that stands to reason. And, and I think that the emphasis here is critically important. Um, it's about the nearness. The, we are near the end. Every generation has been near the end. Um, you know, no matter how many Paris Accords there are, spending mega dollars and much time trying to, to uh, green up the world and all that green frenzy, no matter how many United Nations gatherings there are uh, to meet on global peace, no matter how much bubble wrap is recommended by the World Health Organization around people, our planet and its people have a date with the end. That's what this means. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how you strive, no matter how much money you invest, no matter how much you spend on healthcare and all of that, the truth of the matter is this world, this planet, and all the people in it have a date with the end. The creator of all things is also the terminator. That's what this text teaches us. That's what the scriptures will teach us. As we continue to move through the letters of Peter, he will state that over again, that the planet has a date with the end. There is a final judgment coming. There is a final accountability that's scheduled on God's prophetic clock. Now, even when Peter wrote this, he knew that the end wasn't going to happen within a day or so. He knew that. Because Jesus had already told he and the other disciples when they were standing around gazing at Jerusalem and gazing at the temple, like the the country hicks come to the big city, right? That's what that whole event was about. It's like country bumpkins go to Toronto and you start gazing at all the massive buildings. Look at this place. Jesus, it's amazing. Look at that tower. And Jesus said to them, yeah, yeah, all these structures, quite amazing, but they're all coming down. Well, that hadn't happened yet. Peter died in about 65 A.D., and it wasn't until 70 A.D. until the temple came down. So there were years and years. Peter knew that, and Jesus had said to him uh, and to the disciples in Mark chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 24, if you study those texts, you will find that Jesus had taught them that there were going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence. There were going to be, and, and, the, and, and he says, and the end was not, and, and the end is not yet. He told them that there would be, the gospel would be preached to all the nations. So, so when Peter penned this, if he used a pen, or quilled this, or whatever he did, he knew that the end wasn't tomorrow, or the next day, or even 
several days from them because the gospel still had to spread out to the world. The emphasis here, beloved, is there is an end. It is coming. There's nothing, no major event left in God's history of redemption for the end to come. There's nothing left yet to happen. 6,500 years of human history. All the major events have taken place. Creation, the fall, the calling of a people by God, the exodus, Israel itself, the exile, Messiah, Calvary, the church, the Holy Spirit working through the church. All of these events that have been prophesied in Scripture are completed, are nothing's left. There's only one thing that remains, and that is the return of Christ. So, where this is all headed is ready to come to its intended fulfillment and completion. And where is this all headed? It's all headed to the establishment of God's will on earth finally, completely, for all eternity. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. That's why Jesus taught us to pray the the disciples' prayer. Thy will uh, be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. May thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is coming a day, the end is nearer, that day is coming when the, the rule and reign of Christ, the establishment of God's will will be upon earth, the new heavens, the new earth forever. That's what Peter's talking about. In the meantime, he says, how should we invest our time? How should we get ready? And I guess it shouldn't surprise us that what we're going to find out in the text, that we're we're supposed to spend our time getting ready with each other. And that doesn't surprise me or shouldn't surprise me or shouldn't surprise any of us because, beloved, we're going to spend a whole lot of time together. You think we spend a fair bit of time together now? We're going to spend the rest of our whole forever together. So doesn't it make sense that we should invest our time now on each other and how we treat each other? And that's where this text is going to draw us. This is a text to help us. What people need in trying times, in hard times. Peter's talking about the end of all things. When when Jesus was talking about these things are coming, wars and rumors of wars and famines and and trouble and persecution and all that. How, how How should we treat each other? We need more tender, loving care with each other than ever when we look at these times and these hard times. I think, uh, I think uh, God's got her attention right now. I'm pretty sure he does. We were cruising along pretty good. I mean, if, you know, in January, as I was thinking about 2020 and, and all the things that were laid out, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. This was going to be one of the most um, exciting years I had lined up in a long time. Had a lot of things to do. A lot of exciting things I had in my mind. And all of a sudden, everything changed. You know, a man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps, yes? So God has got our attention. And I think more than anything else, emotionally, we need 
the comfort and care of each other. So, the end of all things is near, brothers and sisters. Now, how should we be treating each other? Let's look at the text. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. By the way, you're going to see one another, not in the NIV, but in the original, one another shows up three times in the text. Three times the emphasis is on treatment of one another. This is not about how you treat the world. Not about how you treat your neighbor. This is specifically addressed to how God's people treat each other. Okay? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Usually you end the letter there. But Peter, he got, he got so caught up in the glories of Jesus and the wonders of God that he couldn't help himself. He just had to throw in a doxology right there and say, would you join me in praising God here? And uh, we're all to say, amen. That's what he says right at the end. So the end is read more ready than ever, beloved. And 100 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back, it'll be more ready then. There's nothing in the way of today. So while the world tries in futility to save their lives, to save the planet, to globalize, we have very different instructions. We're called to get very good at treating each other well. Can I appeal to you? Can I appeal to you wherever you are this morning, online, up at your cottage, wherever you are? Let's get really good at treating each other well. That's how we ready ourselves. So I just want to give you quickly three, three priorities this morning, three readiness priorities in light of the end. And the first is this, taken from verse 7, don't panic so that you can pray. Don't panic so that you can pray. And, and wow, is this a timely word for us right now, is it not? So in other words, right now, for you and for me, upgrade our two-way communication with the Lord. This is the urgency of the hour. Time with God is critical. And he tells us how to do it here. Therefore, be, first of all, clear-minded. That means get very good at thinking critically. The word there is sane. Would you please be sane? There's a lot of insanity around us. There's a lot of people who are very insane right now. It should not be so among God's people. Get good at sanity. 
Now, how, how does that happen, critical thinking? Critical thinking, and, and I spoke to you about this a few weeks ago. There is a decided absence among us of clear thinking in favor of panic, of critical thinking in favor of panic. What is critical thinking? Critical thinking is analyzing everything carefully. Critical thinking is evaluating everything that's said to you and told to you carefully. We need, according to God's word, to specialize as God's people in critical thinking. And there's a reason, so that we can pray properly. Do you realize the quality of our prayers matter to God, not just that we pray? When you look at this and you realize, look at, look at the text. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. The reason you need to be a critical thinker and self-control, get there in a second, is so that you can pray quality prayers. Quality matters to God because praying appropriately and accurately matters to God. Not just some sort of panic prayer. Think critically. Be aware of what is real. Evaluate everything. Not emotion and feeling, but facts and evidence. Does this mean you can't pray emotionally? Can you? No, that's not what it means. A third of the Psalms are cries of the heart, lamentations. I'm not trying to, you know, you don't pit the Bible against itself. The Bible builds a case. The simple case being made here is not, is not um, conclusive of all things about prayer, but it's something about prayer during hard times and trying times and the end being near. Think carefully. How do we do that? Uh, check out more than one source for certain. You realize that you can't listen to all the sensational hype around you. Media are not telling you the story. They are making up their own story and feeding it to you. You know, when I was growing up, we used to have newscasters uh, that you could count on. Remember the days when Harvey Kirk was on CTV? I know I'm dating myself. Lloyd Robertson, am I getting closer? Walter Cronkite, these were, these were men of integrity who, who delivered what was happening and allowed you and me to assess what we saw around us. That's not journalism anymore. Journalism creates their own storyline and shows you what they want to show you in order to corroborate their storyline. If one person dies of COVID, they show you that stretcher over and over and over again, night after night. What about all the people who died in car accidents across the North America? Do you see any of those stretchers? Media is sensationalizing the moment. That's not, God's people don't buy into that. We think critically, sanely. We're also to be, uh, we have to have sober minds, see self-controlled, unencumbered minds, untangled minds, freed minds from the unhealthy ways of thinking that are around us, spiritually clean minds, not lazy veggie minds. I mean vegging out, not vegetables vegging out kind of minds. Get that in Romans 12 too. 
renewing our minds through the Word of God. Philippians 4, 6 to 9, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things kind of minds. That's what this means. So that you can pray. Now, um, this matter of prayer, notice that if your Bible's here, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. It says there at the end of verse 14, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. It's talking about people of the world versus people of God. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. When um, Peter was in a firsthand experience of some of these possibly fearful things, like getting thrown into prison, in Acts chapter 4, he offers up a prayer that I think helps us to understand what he's writing about even here. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 18, uh, the officials commanded Peter and John to stop preaching. Verse 18. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, verse 19, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for a man who has miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And on their release, Peter prays. Now, I want you to notice this. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Notice what they said. Sovereign Lord. Hang on that. Do you need an infusion of... um, Courage and encouragement and security right now. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is over all. We are his people. He loves us. And I can say he loves us to death because he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for us. He loves us to death. They said, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then he quotes from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Here's why we are called to pray, and here's why we are called. Peter, Peter is thinking about this as he's writing these people who are in hard times, and writing now to us in hard times. He's, he's saying that, that we pray because God is in charge. We don't panic. We don't lose our head. We don't go insane. We don't lose our, our sober-mindedness. We, we don't let our minds become unglued because our God is in charge. Let that truth reset your emotion button, will it? Let it do that. 
And then because we need God's strength, he quoted from Psalm 2 because he was reminding all the people there that the kings rage against people and they rage against God and they rage against his son. And the son laughs at them. We need God's strength in hard times so we won't waver from God's will and try to take the easy way out or give up. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. What holds us? God holds us. This truth holds us. God's strength holds us. We can't give up at this point. We must keep going. We must continue to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. Not wave a white flag. One of the Apollo astronauts, and I'm not sure which one because the article I read didn't state, but he was asked by a, a, a journalist, how will you get off the moon? One of the Apollo astronauts that was going to the moon, how will you get off the moon? And he said, well, we fire the rockets and we take off in our little module. And the reporter said back to him, but what happens if it doesn't fire? And he said, well, then we're stuck. Well, how long will your life support system last? And the astronaut replied, six hours. And so the reporter says to him, so what will you do with those last six hours? And he says, I'll work on the engine. That, that's, that's, what we're, that's who we're called to be. We keep on keeping on. We continue to serve the Lord with sane and sober minds. Secondly, it says here, above all, love each other deeply. So don't panic so you can pray. Second, practice loving Christians more. What should I be doing, pastor, today? What should I be doing during this time? What, sh what should I be doing during these difficult and trying times? Uh, well, I'll tell you what Peter says we should be doing. Practice loving your brothers and sisters more now than you ever have. That's what you should be doing. That's what your pastime should be, long-suffering love. Our world is good at loving people who are lovable, yes? Our world's good at that. You know what Christians specialize in? We specialize in loving people who are difficult. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us different. We're to love each other. And the word here is deeply. Not surface, not window dressing, not while people are looking at you, putting on a show. Deeply. Right into the core of who they are. Earnestly. That's what this means. With, it actually literally means with strain. Put all your effort into loving your brothers and sisters deeply during hard times as you wait for the end to come. That's what your pastime is. It's not legitimate to sing that old hymn, When All My Neighbors and Trials Are O'er. It's, it's not. We're not supposed to say, hey, I love him in the Lord, but, no, no, no. Intentional warmth and affection, that's what this really means. And, and to, to sort of um, drive home the point, 
Peter borrows from the Proverbs. He borrows Proverbs 10, 12. And notice what he writes here. This is the kind of love that covers over a multitude of sins. Wow. That's a different kind of love. That's, it's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to love people who've never done anything to you that hurt you. What about loving people who hurt you? Who have said something? Who have sinned against you? Love covers over a multitude of sins. Here, here's, in other words, Peter says, here's how you know whether or not you're fooling yourself. We can say we love the brothers and sisters, but here's how you know whether or not you're fooling yourself. Can you love people enough to cover over their sins? Now, this is not excusing sin. That's not what this, that's not what this is teaching. There, there's a hatred, the, the word of God's hatred stirs up strife. When you hate somebody, you can't wait to get some goods on them. You can't wait to cause some trouble for them. This is the opposite of that. This is even though they may have caused you some trouble, you love them so deeply and earnestly that you'd rather not get them in trouble. That you'd rather find a way not to cover up sin, but to grace up your relationship. To love them in a way that Christ has loved you. And by the way, there's no hiding this. This word is transgressions, a breach of trust, rebellion. That's what this is. So small and sometimes larger offenses can be overlooked and quickly forgotten. So that we will spend more of our time agonizing on how I can love someone and, and, and not seek to expose their transgression, but rather demonstrate to them a forgiving, a forgiving heart and forgetting what they've done to me. Try harder to love than to uncover, to keep things private rather than to publicly expose. To correct, perhaps, but to care. Rather than can't waiting to expose or to get something on someone or, or suspicious of people or always taking offense easily, under, misunderstandings all the time, conflicts always flying around you. No. Loving each other deeply. This is how God has treated and continues to treat you and, to me, and me. And in fact says, Jesus in fact, in fact himself said, I will forgive you as you forgive those who trespass against you. Didn't he say that? When um, a young artist was painting the Last Supper in the late 19th century, he was approached by the um, famous Russian writer Lev Tolstoy, who said to him, you don't love him. And the young artist said, what do you mean? I just painted the Lord Jesus Christ in the Last Supper. He said, yes, you don't love him. If you loved him, you would have painted him better. And so it is with how we treat one another. If we love each other really deeply, 
we will treat each other better. For what reason? Secondly, we love each other to offer hospitality. Hospitality that would be a joy and not a pain. Without grumbling, it says here. Love is a practice, not just a feeling. Peter goes on to say, and this is how it really practically works itself out. You won't get here until you've settled the love deeply issue. But we have to love one another so much that we're, we find hospitality to one another, a great joy and not a, a task. Without grumbling, he adds. Uh, the word that he's using here is Philozenia, which means love of strangers, love of foreigners. You've, you've probably heard the word thrown around a lot, xenophobia, right now. It's a, it's a word that everybody's thrown out. You're a xenophobe, which means you don't love foreigners or you don't love strangers. Well, this is the opposite word of that. God's people are supposed to be philosenia, lovers of strangers, lovers of foreigners. And this still means of one another. This still means foreign to you, but not foreign to the family of God. They may be strangers to you, but they're not strangers to Christ, and therefore they can't be strangers to you. And you know as you travel or as people travel, it's wonderful to meet God's people wherever you meet them. And we're to be those people who offer hospitality to our brothers and sisters, even if they're strangers to us, even if they're foreigners to us, even if we don't know who they are because of Jesus. We're to look out for our family first. We're, there, there were no Motel 6s back there leaving the lights on. So when people were traveling around, you dare not leave your brother or sister out on the street in ancient Asia Minor. You brought them into your house and took care of them. Now Paul had to work on the whole idea of let's not be lazy. If a man does not work, he does not eat because some people can become freeloaders. In fact, by several centuries after this was written, the Christians themselves had to start putting limitations on their hospitality because people were freeloading. And so there became limitations to what this text actually meant in practice. Three days, okay? Three days was it and you had to send them off with a meal. So that was sort of four days. Three days and a meal was meeting this obligation. Because, you know, there's an old Italian proverb that, that uh, guests in your house are like dead fish. They start to stink after three days. So it was sort of like, you know, you got to be hospitable, you got to be nice, but this is temporary. This is not about freeloading. Hospitality. And you can't, and not to be grumbling over the time and expense of my cost or start complaining, because then we start complaining to God and say, God, why did you put me into this situation and into this circumstance? Rather, we are to view this as a privilege. We are to, re, we are to view hospitality commissioned by Jesus as a privilege and a joy to serve the Lord. Because after all, Jesus had already taught as well that whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you are doing to me. So this whole hospitality thing without grumbling and complaining has real solid meaning when you look at your brother and sister and you see Jesus and you realize 
that what you are doing for your brother or sister out of deep love for them is as if you are doing it for Jesus himself. Does that change the equation a little bit for anybody? Rather than requiring thanks, the blessing entrusted alone is enough. There's a third thing I see here, and we'll wrap it up. So the first is don't um, panic so you can pray. Practice loving Christians more. And the third is this. Bring praise to God through your giftedness. Bring praise to God through your giftedness. We need each other's service especially in hard times, especially as you see the end coming. We need each other's service. Every single one of you, every single one of you who are God's people watching me today online or over 301 or wherever you are, each one of you are vital to the body of Christ. Every single one. There isn't anybody we can do without. There isn't anyone who who doesn't have something vital to offer. Every single one of you are critically important. You see what he says here? Each one should use whatever gift he has received or she has received. That means each one of you has received something from Jesus to offer to the body of Christ that is necessary, absolutely necessary. You've been given a divine resource to be used to take care of God's family. Selfless service. Each one has a role to benefit the body. You've been freely given. You have been graced by God something to demonstrate to the body of Christ the varied graces of God. And you are called upon to use your gifts. We are each trustees, stewards of God's resources. You know in the scriptures we dare not misuse or not use our gifts. You know the the unfaithful steward who buried his gift. When he came to the master, the master said to him, you wicked servant took away his gift and gave it to another. We dare not not use our gifts. So, uh, what is a gift? It's, it's any talent, uh, Grudem stated it this way, it's any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. God's people provide God's resources to God's people as needed. That's what we do. That's how God is at work in you for others. God knows what people need, and he knows what they need from each other. And and we aren't randomly thrown together. A church is not randomly thrown together, you know. A, A church is intentionally put together. God, in his infinite wisdom, gathers together a group of people like our people because we all bring something that is necessary for this group of people to manifest the various graces of God 
together. You provide what I don't have, I provide what you don't have. When you think about it, each of us individually are giving away way less than we're getting back. I mean, think about it. If, when, when I look upon this crowd of people with resources and gifts and, and, and grace of God, and I'm just one person, and, and God has brought you together to resource me with whatever I need, and, 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 I, give, and I give to you and others give to you, do you realize that, that we are benefiting far more than if we are on our own? We are being blessed by a a multitude of gifted people resourcing us with what we need, coming together, doing that. It's a a glorious thing. And and he breaks it down into two major things. One is if speaking, and and we'll, we'll be done, if speaking with the consciousness of handling God's very words. You see what it says there? If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. Not many of you should be teachers, James wrote. Why? Because you are handling high octane verbiage. You are handling the very words of God. Anybody who's out there messing around with God's word or saying, well, I don't know, I, I, you know what, I would, I would have taken a different approach, you know, but I would teach something different than Peter did. Anybody who does that, it doesn't know, you know, I think of, I think of uh, those high power guys, guys who work on high power lines, guys like Greg Medill up there, on the lines, uh, like those guys up in the buckets, you know, who get up on those big power lines, there's only two Two creatures that do that, squirrels and guys who in buckets. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't want to be either of them, a squirrel or a guy in a bucket up in those high power lines. And you don't get up there and say, ah, you know what? I, I, I know you're supposed to do this and that with a high power line, but I think I'm going to see what will happen if I just put two of these lines together today. I'm just going to cut these lines and... You don't do that up in that bucket. When you're speaking the words of God, you'll start messing around with it, saying, oh, you know what? I don't like the way that sounds. I, I, think, I think Jesus meant that or he meant this. No, you don't mess around with it. God's truth produces fruit. And we are entrusted with the divine utterance of God, the very word today you are getting. As you look at this, read this, the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you're getting the very word of God. This is not my opinion on how it would be nice if we got along. Wouldn't it it feel better if we all treated each other nicely? This This is not coming from some humanist. These are God's words to you. This is not come take it or leave it kind of stuff. Oh, you know what? I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm interested in taking this. This is God's very word. And if you're serving, it says here, you serve with God's strength. You may sit out there saying, God's giving me gifts, man. I don't, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do things and I'm exhausted. You know what? Then you're not doing it in God's strength. If you try to do God's work in your own strength, you will fail miserably. You will become so exhausted It particularly says here, if 
anyone serves, he should do it in, with the strength God provides. God has ordered the job done, one writer put it. God will pay the expenses, be they material, physical, or emotional. Whatever you need to execute God's gift in serving your brothers and sisters, God will pay for, he will provide for, whether it's material, physical, or emotional. And how do you evaluate if all of this is being done for God? Look at, so that, verse 11, the end, in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We don't love each other deeply to be praised by one another. We don't offer hospitality to each other to be praised by each other. We don't speak the very words of God to be praised by each other. We don't serve one another to be praised by each other. We do all of this so God will be praised, so that people will look at what we're doing, how we're speaking, how we're acting, how we're loving, how we're being hospitable, and say, isn't God amazing? Isn't God spectacular? And Peter says, and by the way, because to him be glory and power. In other words, because glory and dominion rightly belong to him and not to you or not to me. It's the way it should be. And then he throws in an amen. For certain. For sure. Solid. That's what that means. So, beloved, Jesus said it, those who endure to the end will be saved. And this is what it looks like to live a life that endures to the end. This, these, are the, these are the actions and activities of those who will endure to the end. So, ready people live ready lives. Let me just summarize it. We pray without panicking. We see life realistically. We're not duped by the agendas around us. We practice long-suffering love toward Christians and not just our favorites. We cover over transgressions. We don't try to expose them. That's hatred. We don't get mad at each other over politics. That's not loving deeply. The church is extremely polarized right now. The enemy is having a, a heyday among us. Whether you're left or whether you're right, whether you're Trump or Biden, whether you're Trudeau or somebody else, whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. We are tremendously polarized and not loving each other deeply and not covering over transgressions. We are exposing them. We are shouting each other down. I, I wish we had the same energy to, 
to, to share the gospel as we have to claim that putting a mask on is loving my neighbor. Loving your neighbor is sharing the gospel. Put energy there. We need to be happy in our hospitality with joy. I witnessed with pure delight a group of young adults on Friday in two different cities just helping somebody out because they could and because they love. It's, it's an amazing tribute to God to stand back and watch God's people love on each other. And selfless service, just giving it all away, getting praise for God by giving away what he's given to us. Imagine that, we earn God's pray, God praise for using the things he's given to us. These are not things we earned or deserved. I'm giving this, I'm giving my allowance away. God gives me my allowance, I give it away. And he gets praised. And I get to live with him forever. I, I love the Bible. I, I think it's, I think God has just great things to tell us. And if we would just listen and live according to God's word, we would really, really find it delightful. So I encourage you to do that. God bless you all. So good to have you with us today. Um, I can't forget, like I did last week, uh, about offering. We don't collect an offering, but this is our time to thank God for all his goodness to us, whether you're online, wherever you are here. Um, there are retiring plates if you, if you brought something with you. Um, and we're so grateful to God. Praise God for what he's done and how he's provided for us. And, uh, but beloved, my heart is really burdened and really aching for us. This is an important sermon. Don't pass it by quickly. We've got to get back to loving each other very, very, very deeply. So please, let's do that. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, the combination of your word, your truth, and the power of the Holy Spirit to enact it in our lives is a promise to us. And I pray, Lord, that we won't rebel against it or refuse it, but we will listen and we will respond and we will act the way we are called to act according to the scriptures. To pray, not panic. To love deeply. To offer hospitality. To serve each other with the gifts you've given to us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you all. Goodbye to our online people and across at 301. Love you so much. Have a great week.